0: You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, one and all, to episode 226 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. We are brought to you today by my beautiful, good-smelling, sexy, adorable, fertile very well-endowed Patreon patrons. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. You can support the show at patreon.com slash Pimcron. We're also brought to you today by panhandle3d.com for 3D-printed terrain and miniatures. And uh, they also do all sorts of stuff, engraved tumblers and uh, dice trays and all sorts of stuff you can get custom. And I believe our code SHOREHAMMER is still good for 15%, S-H-O-R-E-H-A-M-M-E-R, one word for 15% off your order, and gamemat.eu for pre-painted terrain, and STL files, and uh, of course, game mats, and that's 10% off with event 10. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we are discussing several different things. Wow, what a shocker. You came here for just one thing, but guess what? It's a multi-pack. That's right. So we have a big question for you. It's a debate and a philosophical musing, let's say. The real talk with the Pimp Cron tonight is what was better, the old ways of slow product releases or the new way of constant changes? And it's not going to be as one-sided as you think. I'm sure you already know my stance on it, but honestly, I was trying to take a, an honest approach and who benefits both ways and who gets screwed both ways. So we get into that. We also have the new Flesh Shooter Courts of uh, Aberrant Ghoul King on the throne, and we say whether or not we want him. The answer may surprise you. And we also have a message from Jeffrey, or Jeff, and uh, he is writing about tournaments and uh, complexity of rules, which is odd, right? It's a coincidence. So... What have I been up to? I'm going to make this brief because the real talk is like 30 minutes and it's uh, a long, long recording. So um, I just finished yesterday the uh, 112th page of Brutal Space editing it. I got my printed copy and then I went through it and edited it, marked it all up with a marker. And now I'm ready to sit in front of the computer and spend. A hundred hours <laughs> making changes probably more realistically 20 hours of making changes before I'm going to order one more last copy and then edit that and then it will be up for sale so Brutal Space is my fleet battle game but it also includes ground combat it includes away team missions and it includes uh dog fighting so it's like it really is the complete package for sci-fi miniature gaming and it all moves seamlessly into each other it is Awesome. I'm super excited for you guys to see it. Um, it is completely groundbreaking. There's never been a game before where the combat rules for space were so darn close than the combat rules for ground. Um, just tweaked slightly because one's in space and one's ground, but uh it really is a seamless uh interaction. I actually played um I played my friend Nick this week. He was the one that challenged me with his uh deep king deep King, deep kin. I kept wanting to say deep king the Deepkin against my flesh eater courts he beat me by well we were neck and neck the entire game until he tabled me and that sounds funny but he tabled me turn four and then he got like five or six extra points i think he beat me like 18 to 11 or something like that it was that last turn, he just went around and mopped up points, and that's, that's, um, he was going to win either way, but once he tabled me, he was already winning by, like, a point or two, something like that, and then he, he just ran away with it, obviously, when I was no longer there. Um, it was still a really good game, though. It was, uh, very, very close up until I got tabled. Couple resurrection rolls didn't go well, things like that, but, um, I was rolling better than average on my six-ups, my, uh, Feel No Pains, my, uh, Death Saves. I was rolling pretty darn good for those and he was rolling pretty subpar. So I think it also helped even out the balance because I think Deepkin are probably better than Flesh Eater Quartz. It's kind of hard to say. Flesh Eater Quartz have just a couple really good tricks and um, Deepkin is also kind of like that. So uh, it's kind of a tall up. I think it was a good match. Then yesterday was a special day because James had his birthday party game. It was a narrative, uh, just a fun wonky game. Age of Sigmar. We had three versus three. Um, Nick, Josh, me, James, TJ, Andrew, a bunch of the usual uh, suspects. I cannot talk today. And uh, we had these Skaven coming out of these gnaw holes. And uh, we had to kill the Skaven for victory points. We did not get victory points for killing each other. But, of course, we wanted to stop each other from killing the Skaven. And we each had a statue on our deployment. And it it went really well. Um, So we ended up winning. My team ended up winning in the very last turn. Because the other team, TJ, Andrew, and Josh's team, were in the lead all game. Uh, We took the lead in the first turn. And then the second, third, and fourth turn, they had the lead. And then the fifth turn, we overtook them just barely. We beat them 38 to 33, I think, was the, was the very end of it. But we got like 11 points in that last turn. We got like a, a lot of points. So um, that's how we were able to overtake them. And then after that, number one, that was a really fun game. Number two, I played my, oh, well, I'll just give you the armies if you care, uh, TJ was Soul Blight, Andrew was Flesh Eater Quartz. uh Josh was uh, Night Haunt. I was Stormcast. Nick was Deepkin, and then James was Lumineth Realm Lords. And uh, then after that, we already we had another birthday game that uh the teenager, the thirteen year old that joined our group. I guess he turned fourteen now because he had a birthday game. He always has to leave early because he's got to get rides from his mom. So for his birthday, he wanted to finish a two thousand point game. So I was like, you know what? Let's do that. So me and Just James stayed after everyone else left from his birthday game, and the kid and his uncle came over, and we played a two v two game. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. I brought in, he. I asked uh, the kid what he wanted to play against, and he said, "Well, I wanted to play against Necrons and Tyranids." So James brought his Tyranids. I brought my Necrons, and we decided, you know what, Necrons and Tyranids don't typically work together. So why don't we have the? Uh, we played basically longways. And why don't we have the Grey Knights, which were the kid and his uncle, uh, deploy in the 12-inch wide line going from long edge to long edge? Because remember, we're playing long ways. Um, They had deployment zone right in the middle there and had three objectives. And they're sitting on them. And I have 18 inches from one long edge. And then James comes from the other long edge. The guys in the middle could earn kill points or victory points from the objectives. My Necrons wanted to recover our stuff from the objectives, so we did not get kill points, but we did get objective points. And James just wanted to eat everybody, so he got kill points, but not objective points. So that was a really cool way to thematically be like, okay, I want to get objectives, he wants to eat people, but together we're a team. So we will get... I have my specific duty, he has his specific duty. And then, of course, the Grey Knights did both. and um, it all came down to we were going to either lose or tie it all came down to whether or not James could kill one last unit and it came down to two five up involves, saves and uh the kid's uncle made both five up saves so they end up winning 13 to 12 instead of tying 13 to 13 it was a nail biter of a game and uh it was just it was awesome. It was really, really fun. So we had two really awesome games in one day, and it was just a lot of fun. So I also kinda, you know, warms my heart to, you know, get kids into the hobby and you know well, I didn't get him into the hobby, but I mean encouraging him, not stomping him, you know, all that stuff. And for the those of you that like Nephilim and Ark of Omens and the constant FAQs and all the chapter tactics, warlord traits, relics, stratagems, uh doctrines all that stuff. Um the teenager really hasn't used many stratagems except for just the core rulebook stratagems and he didn't even look at his gray knight's chapter abilities or anything. He didn't take a warlord trait, he didn't do anything. So we played that game. We had a super awesome game that was super fun and we took no chapter abilities. We didn't use any stratagems from the books. We just used the core rulebook stratagems and we didn't use any artifacts, we didn't use any warlord traits. We just used the abilities that the units had, and it was a fantastic game. So if any of you that feel like quitting Warhammer because it's too complicated or whatever, remember, this is your game. You can, all these rules are mutable. If you don't, if you want to cut down on some of the bookkeeping through stratagems or command points, then don't do them. Like, it's, it's that easy. And we just used, we didn't use any Nephilim rules or anything like that. Um, we just played a basic game and it was fantastic and it was not overly complicated. Anyway, that is what I've been up to, uh, besides painting on my starship bridge and all that. So I'm going to let you go because real talk is already a long segment and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, that bumper music told you what time it is. It's time for the Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have a letter at pimpcron at gmail.com with two Ps from Gioff, or otherwise pronounced Jeff. He is one of the, probably the second person I've ever met in my entire life that spells Jeff with a G-E-O-F-F. I don't know, I guess, Geoffrey? I don't know, but it's pronounced Jeff, at least the other person that I knew pronounced it Jeff. But I'm going to call you Geoff. So Geoffrey. <laughs> yeah, you know, hopefully this isn't like a sore spot for him, like where he got made fun of his whole life or something. Um you know, I'll just call you Jeff. I'll just call you Jeff. Good morning, pimp, or whatever time it is for you right now. My name is Jeff, and I really like your podcast. It is really hard to find a show that isn't just competitive shit. I only play I only play Space Wolves, so any episode about another army is no use to me. Well, I mean it could be used to you if you were really competitive. I was thinking the other day. I think I'm done with tournaments until 10th edition comes out. Maybe that will be less complicated. I'm fine with the rules right now, but most tournaments don't give you much time to play each round, so I'm rushing around trying to keep everything in mind. I don't have a local club, and I travel for events within two hours of home. Casual play is not an option for me, unfortunately, but I do like the casual or hobby-focused discussion. Anyway, I always wanted to say that you're... I'm sorry, I also wanted to say that your interview with yourself was hilarious. Feet picks, LOL. I guess that's all I have to say later. And then it says Jeff. So thanks for writing in, Jeff. Um, I do not play many tournaments. I typically only play um, two tournaments a year, and I know I'm going to get my ass handed to me. It's not really a big deal. I just know it's going to happen. And uh, this year I actually did a similar decision. I was like, you know what? I'm not really enjoying this uh, Nephilim stuff, not really enjoying the current grind of all the competitive stuff. So we've instead decided to, instead of going up and playing tournaments that meet with other game clubs, like from Shorehammer or whatever, this year we're just playing pickup games and doing casual stuff. And I think we're all going to enjoy that much, much better than just paying to have our ass handed to us at a tournament. Now, specifically, you're saying that you don't have enough time during each round. And I do understand that because even for Shorehammer and everything, it's a pretty tight schedule. The reason for that, and you probably know this, but the reason for that is if most tournaments are three rounds. So if you're going to play three rounds and each game is like two or three hours, that's nine hours, not even including lunch, not including time between rounds. You're talking about like an 11 hour day when it's all said and done. And at least my tournaments, we don't like to uh, we don't like to have them go on too long because we have other events and things at night. So and also people get tired by the third game. I know usually when I'm in a tournament by the third game I'm like f this, I don't care anymore. And of course by that time I've probably been tabled twice. Um, yeah, I I notoriously roll bad, like really bad. When I'm trying, I'm trying to win. Yeah, I, I don't I don't usually roll that well, like for a tournament, but um, because I I took the Crusher Stampede one year and uh, I think it was last winter and just got my butt handed to me. I couldn't make any my Turan effects that had all those strength 10 or whatever shots uh, couldn't hit anything, couldn't hit a single thing. So that was that was fun. Anyway, uh, I don't know what 10th edition is going to bring, and hopefully it is less convoluted and complicated. And I do really feel for you with the whole complications of your chapter, your artifact, your warlord, your stratagems, your secondaries, your... Oh my god, it's just there's so, so many rules. So hopefully you find some sort of middle ground, but I do appreciate you listening to the podcast, and thank you for the compliments, and thank you for enjoying what we do talk about, Because this podcast is a little more like uh, we're just friends chilling out, right? We're talking about Warhammer, talking about models, talking about gaming, talking about hobby, just just a general friendly hangout. Um, I don't like to go into tactics a whole lot, even though I really enjoy tactics. Tactics is what I'm most into as far as gaming. But the problem is, especially in this six month cycle, I like to keep all of my episodes pretty evergreen. Like you can go back and listen to them years later. And anything beyond general tactics is not evergreen. You're going to end up, uh, you're going to end up like, oh, this is the tactics for this book right now, or, oh, this is the tactics for this book under Nephilim. And then six months later, nobody's going to listen to that episode because why would they? Because it's not relevant anymore. So that is the reason why I don't really cover tactics. Um, I know there are a lot of good podcasts that do, but I guess you came to the right place if you're not interested in that. Anyway, I think that's basically everything I can add to that email. But thank you for writing in. I appreciate it. You can reach me at facebook.com slash PimpCron or PimpCron at gmail.com. Let's get on to the next segment. Want that or want that not? Hey, weary traveler. Why don't you come down and sit here with me? rest a spell, and I will weave the tale of the Aberrant Ghoul King with Crown of Delusion, and whether or not I want that. Now, you guys probably know, I do pl- uh, play Flesh Eater Quartz, and I do have a Ghoul King, a Ghoul King on Terrorgeist, and then the r- other guy, the Arch Regent. I do have those models. This is just an Aberrant Ghoul King. Now, he is an Aberrant Ghoul King with a slight twist. He is on a... Uh, He's on a throne. He's a pretty cool looking model. He's on this like stone throne and his sword and his uh his crown are all like corrupted and and uh, pitted and rusty and all that. It's pretty cool. He's got a string of bones or um spikes on the back of his throne. He's holding a skull in one hand. His foot is on uh a skeleton on the ground and he kind of is like leaning forward in his chair like he's barking orders. Okay. I do like this. I do like this a lot. It is a cool looking model. My issue with it, and I knew you were waiting for that. My my issue with it is that he's in a chair. And that might sound really petty, right? But I always wonder when people are not standing or running or whatever, when they're sitting down and I'm expected to make them move around the board. In my stupid ape brain, all I can think of is that this dude is dragging the stone throne around the battlefield and then sitting in it to be like, oh, let's do combat now. And he does combat from the chair. I I don't know. It's a a really cool looking model, okay? That's all it is. There's no special rules to it. Nothing like that. Um, There's, I mean, did we really need a new Aberrant Ghoul King? Did we? I don't really think so. The Ghoul King actually looks pretty cool. Um So I I don't really see the the purpose behind this model. You know what we could use though is another character. We could definitely use another character for Flesh Eater Courts. That that army only has two monsters, like five heroes, and then three other units? I think that's it. Like they they're not a very flushed out army at all and i really think we could have used um some sort of different hero for sure um so i feel like this was a missed opportunity i don't know why they would decide to just make a different version of the model that already exists i i don't know especially on a throne he does look cool but is he dragging it it's like different like um the guy on the palanquin the nurgle guy um is it epidemius or something the guy that um like writes down how many people have been plagued or whatever, he's on a palanquin carried by nerglings. Okay, that makes sense. He's sitting down. He's big and fat, right? He's sitting down, but he's being carried by something. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, put it a different way. Nothing says agile leader of my flesh eater courts than a dude dragging a stone throne. I don't know. Call me a weirdo if you want, but I just have a hard time when people are sitting down or whatever thinking about them dragging a throne on the, on the board. So to me, $35 for this quote-unquote special edition model is not worth it. I already have an Aberrant Ghoul King. This one looks pretty cool, but it's not different from anything I already have. And I'm not one of those people that buy models just to paint them. So really, I see no reason for me to buy this. So uh, as cool as the model does look, $35 is an absolute no-go for me. That is a want-that-not. Now it's time for Real Talk with PimpCron. Hey, you've reached Real Talk with the PimpCron, and today I wanted to discuss whether or not it is better for the company to issue as many changes and impermanence in the game as they do currently, or is it better for the community and the game itself If things have more permanence now, you might be saying, "What? what are you talking about, Pemkron? And I'm sure you often say that when you're listening to the podcast, but permanence, right? What is that? Well, we used to have lots of permanence because we didn't live in an ever changing digital world of consumerism and things like that. And I'm not trying to sound like a hippie. It's just true. Right. Um, Fewer movies came out, fewer TV shows came out, fewer editions of rule books came out. Everything was just slower, like the 2000s and beyond. When I started Warhammer in the fifth edition of Warhammer 40k back in 2009-ish, I don't know if it was 2009, 2010, 2008, somewhere in there, but I, uh, I was using a third edition Necron codex because that's the only codex they had. It was like a 10 year old codex. Editions lasted roughly five years for 40K. I can't really speak to fantasy because I didn't really I didn't really play fantasy. But what I'm saying is once you bought that codex, you were golden for five to 10 years with this with that codex. And there's pros and cons to that. There's pros for the players and cons for the players. And there's really just cons for the company in that respect. We'll go over the slow pace of thing, the way things used to be first. Let's talk about the cons for the company. Obviously, the fewer books you're putting out, then you're making less money, right? Because typically you don't add new models until you have a new codex for an army. And you don't typically uh, have a spike in sales unless you're selling a new book or a new model or whatever. So my Necrons only had like very few units. It was not a super fleshed out. Uh, there was no wraiths. There was no, um, none of their vehicles like the Catacomb Command Bards, the Night Scythe, the um, Ghost Ark, the Doomsday Ark, the, um, none of those things. I mean, there, there was just like destroyers, warriors, immortals, flayed ones, scarabs, a lord. There was no cryptech. And then there was a, a, another unit called Pariahs, which... Uh, actually, there were wraiths. I, I, I'm lying right now. There there were wraiths. Um, I was thinking we didn't have wraiths back then. We had, but the skinny wraiths that look like the Ophidian Destroyers do now is what we had. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. That's like a, a 25% of the current units that Necrons have now. And even things like um, the Immortals only had the Goss Reapers, or whatever they're called. The Gauss, uh you get what I'm talking about. Their current uh, Gauss Gun, they did not have Tesla. That wasn't even an option for them. So clearly, if there are so many books that are 10 years old, Games Workshop has not received a spike in sales for them in quite some time. When I started in 5th edition, I believe Eldar and Tal were in the same boat playing with 3rd edition codexes that I was with my Necrons. And we were all in that same boat. A lot of metal models and, and things like that. Um So I really don't see any benefit at all from this point of view for the company because they are making less product and they're making less money because they're making less product. There's no constant grind of new material. And if there was, it was like, um, man, it seemed like they had to release like a couple models every quarter or something. It wasn't like, you know, a couple boxes, a quarter for new models and stuff like that. It was not the constant churning they do now. I see no positives for the company at all in that regard. Okay. But there were positives for the players. The players had the same book for a decade. Now, that is, I know what you're immediately thinking is, that sounds really boring. But I think there is a few side effects to that that actually maybe secretly benefited the company and it certainly benefited the players. So when you're talking about permanence, it's like, hey, this company puts this thing out and you know you can invest in it for a while, right? It could be a couple years. It could be, <laughs> it could be a decade for all I know. Um, but once you buy into that book, you know what you're getting. And that is permanence in gaming, right? Same thing with the five-year editions. You knew what you were getting into. You knew how combat worked. You knew how magic worked. You knew all those things because you had half a decade to learn it. You had all the time in the world to learn it. And your army was stable. They weren't issuing new rules every six months. They weren't issuing really any FAQs or erratas, which does have its own negatives, but we won't get into that right now. But you had a stable rulebook. Now, the there's issues with that, of course, but we'll get into that when we talk about the, um, the lack of permanence that we have now. But the positives of that, that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to, is that you knew your army inside and out and while that might get a little boring it did that that boredom did spur people to try different lists you'd be like man i've played the meta list for this army dozens of times i'm getting bored now so what i'm going to do is i am going to make a completely different list i'm going to buy more units in that army uh different units than i already had and then i'm going to try different playstyles with the same army instead of just doing whatever the meta or the competitive list is right So that was actually a benefit for the players and potentially a benefit for GW because GW arguably would sell more units for the same army because people got a little bored with playing them after five years, right? Um, But another benefit for the players, I think, is that it would probably cause them to be more creative, not only with their list building, but also with their missions and things like that. So I think it was actually better for the hobby when you have permanence. You also knew that if you were buying this, you would not have to rebuy it for quite some time. That permanence was your guarantee the Games Workshop said, listen, this is the codex and this is the way it is. You can stick with it. You can feel good about buying this book because for years and years, you're going to get use out of it. Now, that arguable boredom of playing the same army all the time um, has some technical positives to games workshop because if you did get bored with your army what would you do you would probably buy another army right because you're bored with your one army but you still want to keep playing okay so you've bought all the units in your army you've got your 5000 points three of every unit whatever you they've maxed out your budget on this one army then you're still bored okay you're in year 3 out of 5 for your codex well then you might actually just start a different army because now They're allowing you to branch out into a different army because you're bored with the one that you have. And this is going to sound like a weird argument. I get it. But just hear me out. So now they're spurring you to invest in another army, but it is an actual good investment. Even if you are in year three of five for the current edition, it might still be five more years until that army gets a new codex because the editions were so similar up until eighth edition. That really, a lot of it was, well, actually up until 6th edition. 6th edition was uh, incorporated a lot of changes. But just a new edition coming out didn't mean that you were getting a new codex like we do now. So your investment in that second or third army really was a good investment because you bought the book one time, and then you bought whatever units you wanted, and you could invest in learning that army because it was permanent. It had a couple-year lifespan of things that you could actually do with it and use. Okay. So I think secretly that might've been beneficial to games workshop because the more invested people are in the hobby, not only in one army, but multiple armies and thousands of dollars and all that. I think they're going to hang around and keep playing. I think it was also beneficial to the players because it increased creativity in list building. It increased creativity in mission writing and it allowed them to invest in different armies and actually learn the army because they knew, even with all the broken bits and all the overpowered bits, they knew that they could invest in it because it was permanent, at least for a couple years, and it was a good investment. I think, in a lot of ways, that is a lot better than what we currently have. A major downside to this is that the armies that were really good in tournament play were really good for a long time. I know Grey Knights had their Day in the Sun in 5th edition. Oh man, Grey Knights and Blood Angels, when I first started, were like the creme de la creme. I mean, they were the best. If you wanted to cure your constipation, they were the ones to go to. You're like, hey, Blood Angels, Grey Knights, guess what? I would like to be abused on the tabletop. And they would do it. They would gladly, gladly do it. Um, Five up feel no pain from that stupid chalice and the Grey Knights had the baby carrier come out and it was just it was nuts. But the tournament scene did struggle because if you played Tyranids, if you played demons, if you played a lot of these armies, you were just bottom tier for a decade. Like, (laughs) sorry, there's nothing you could do about it. So that is the major drawback. Now, it's only a drawback if you play tournament. For me, I don't give a crap. I honestly don't. If they went back to the old version, um, I would obviously not want the same armies being top tier every year at Shorehammer. So what I would end up doing is changing the missions. I would change up the meta of Shorehammer each year. I'd get more creative with the tournaments and I would be like, oh, you know, now you can instead of two troops, you got to take one troop, but you have to take three elites or whatever, you know, and I would I would change the force org uh, man- mandatory force org. And things like that so that people would have to change the meta every year and then of course you know what doesn't work in the normal meta might work better in a different meta. So that's that's how I would do it and I think a lot of tournament organizers would too because they'd be sick of seeing Grey Knights or Blood Angels or whatever just win year after year after year. As much as errata and faq can be annoying because they're constantly changing points they're constantly fixing things it is really a blessing because in these olden days that was the problem is that if you didn't have a role clarification right then w- what do you do Like TOs and players actually had to take it upon themselves to fix those rules and go, okay, this is the way we read it. This is the way we interpret it. Because Games Workshop was completely zipper-lipped on the whole thing. They were not going to tell you jack all about how they wanted you to play it because I guess they didn't care. I don't know. I I think they always like to try to take a laissez-faire stance towards this stuff. But that was also pretty rough. Not only were a couple armies on top forever, but also if your codex... Was not good. It was not good forever. And if there was any rules discrepancies, it was entirely up to the players and the tournament organizers. So, as much as I get frustrated with FAQs and uh, Errata, it is actually a blessing that they do try, quote unquote, to balance things and change things up. Now, let's look at the way it is currently with all of the impermanence, and that's what I, t- I talk about all the time. Everything is impermanent now. Everything is disposable. Like back in the day, if your refrigerator stopped running, you would go hire a refrigerator repairman and he would stop by and he would fix the refrigerator you have. Right. Um, If you had any appliance or anything break or if you had your shoe bust. Right now, this is before my time. This is before any of our times. But Back in the day, things had a lot more permanence. If you had a shoe bust, you know, like um, the sole of the shoe bust, you'd go actually get the shoe fixed. You wouldn't just buy new shoes. We live in a, a pretty consumeristic uh, world, and it's actually cheaper just to buy new than it is to get something repaired in a lot of cases now. So um, we see more and more impermanence. Think about the lifespan for a meme. OK, online, if you pay any attention to that, I pay very little attention to memes. But my son is, of course, a teenager and he really likes memes. So a meme now, and of course, that means, you know, like the the image with the text for you much older people. It's the image with a text and it's funny or it's saying something political or whatever. Specifically, the funny ones, they used to have a lifespan. I mean, if you had He-Man saying, what's going on, right? I, I wake up in the morning, I look outside That thing, that thing had a couple year lifespan of people reposting it and sharing it. Now it's like my, my son's like, you know, memes last like a couple days or a week before people move on and make another meme. Like it's just, there's no, there's no permanence in anything. Um, TV shows, TV shows used to have seasons of like 30 episodes. It was like 27 or 30 episodes of the first season of family guy had like 30 episodes. And now seasons of family guy have like eight episodes. And our TV shows, uh, Little House on the Prairie, Star Trek, all those had 20 or 30 episodes a season. And now Star Trek now, Picard had eight episodes or six. It was like nothing. And now I know there's budget, inflation, paying people more, yada yada, less of a, a issue for the corporate overlords. You know, there's less of investment if it goes wrong, blah, blah, blah. But we're dealing with impermanence all the time in our life. What about Nobody owns media anymore. No one buys DVDs or Blu-ray or whatever. Oh, no, we just have Netflix. Well, the problem is, is you don't own any of that right now. I can I don't care if the everybody suddenly says Star Trek is of the devil and you can't watch it anymore and they ban it on every streaming platform. I'm just picking some ridiculous situation, right? I own all the Star Trek series on DVD every season, except for the original series, because I don't like that. But all the other ones I have every single season on DVD. So nobody could ever, unless they came into my house, beat me up and took all my DVDs, they could never tell me I can't watch that again. But if you're relying on, let's say, Netflix, guess what? I don't think Star Trek's on Netflix anymore. So I guess you just don't watch it or you have to pay monthly for Paramount Plus or whatever. Like this is a bit of a a tirade and a rant. I get it, but it's the truth. Like we deal with less and less permanence all the time and things are not a great investment a lot of times. Now, of course, there's tons of positives to, to Netflix and all that. I'm not trying to hate on it. I'm just trying to illustrate a point that even in video games, you know, you buy a game. It used to be that video game better be darn good because you bought it on disc and there was no patches. There was no nothing before the internet. It was either good or bad. And that's how companies flopped. Right. Or they became hits. Well, now it's like, God, almost no game is released fully capable now or fully finished. How many games have day one patches? Like, oh, here's 10 gigabytes because we didn't finish the fucking game. You know, like, we just shipped it and it allowed you to buy it. And, oh, yeah, it's not really finished. So here's some patches. And then a week later, here's some more patches. And then a month later, here's some more patches. And then every month for the first year is a bunch more patches, you know. Or what about the DLC? You know, it's it's like, once again, impermanence. You buy a game but a lot of them have the DLC already included in the stuff you originally downloaded, but then later on you pay extra just to unlock it. Like, it's just so... There's no permanence in a lot of our life. And Games Workshop, now that I'm done with that rant, has gotten to be that way. Because if I'm going to invest in learning an edition, I've got about two years to learn it. Because at the end of two years, guess what? Now it's different. Okay. Well, if I buy into an army, I've got between a year sometimes 6 months in the case of luminath realm lords or space marines sometimes 6 months but about a year to 2 years before i have to learn it all over again but, but but wait 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 there's more because now they have supplements and campaign books that also alter rules and and all of that but wait 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 there's more then they have constant faqs and errata some of them same day like day 1 errata or faqs for Different books and point changes. Oh, yes, it's it's, you've just bought this book, you take it out of the shrink wrap, and guess what? All your points and some of your abilities and some of your stratagems are now different than the book. Well, then why the hell did I even buy this book? There's no permanence in my purchase. You know, I hate to say it as an investment, but it is. Anything you buy is an investment. A candy bar is a really bad investment because guess what? It's going to be gone in 30 seconds, right? Bar of gold might be a much better, I'm just being ridiculous, but you get what I'm saying. Um, A wristwatch is a pretty good investment because it, it should last quite some time. Now, I'm not getting the whole argument that wristwatches are not worth it anymore, but you get what I'm saying. There's different values and things. And when I could invest in an army for five years, that was a really good investment, right? If I can invest in learning the rules, learning the addition, buying the models, all that. But now, if I only get six months to two years on a book, that's a much worse investment and it's not as permanent. So that's what really occurred to me with the seasonal stuff. This is even a a further ramping up of the Nephilim, of the Ark of Omen and all of that. It's a further ramping up of the even higher level of impermanence in our books. So now, not only do I have day one FAQs, And I've got day one errata and day one points changes. But then I've got points changes, I think, quarterly and FAQs quarterly. And then I've got season abilities every six months. And then sometimes a campaign book will change one of my data sheets. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't. I I just can't. I'm sorry. I just can't. Um, Now, Age of Sigmar is not as bad as 40k. Age of Sigmar does have... Seemingly longer than two years. I think my Flesh Eater Court book is like four years old or something. You, you do get some more benefit out of that. But a, a 40K is like a meat grinder for your wallet. So what's the good part and bad part of that? Well, the good part is Games Workshop is taking their wheelbarrow full of cash all the way to the bank. And I think I said wheelbarrow, but it's wheelbarrow anyway. To the bank, Uh, piles of money. They make tons and tons and tons of money. And just like our video games now, they're sometimes poorly edited. They're sometimes poorly conceived. And they say, oh, we'll fix it in post after we have their money. Just like the video games, none of this is permanent anymore. It's just cash grab, cash grab, cash grab. But what are the negatives to that? Well, a lot of people don't buy more than one army if they're new players anymore because of the impermanence of learning their rules and even the ability to, what do I have, six months to two years to actually play this army? How often do you play? A lot of people play once a week or twice a month or once a month. Some people play once every six months because of where they live or whatever. Well, I'm certainly not going to buy two armies if I play every six months because I'm going to barely be able to play this army. I'm going to play this army, what? Four times, four, eight times before I have a new book coming out, it's just not worth it at all. The investment is not worth it. I'm fortunate enough at least that I play pretty much every week. I mean i I probably I bet I play fifty Warhammer games a year, I bet because some weeks I may not play at all, but then other weeks I play twice i'm I'm willing to bet I play fifty games a year. so I do get my use as, as best I can out of these books, but A lot of people don't. So while Games Workshop does get all of that money for new books, new models, new FAQ, uh, new uh, supplements and all of that and constant changes, and then of course the spikes when they're like, oh, this FAQ makes this unit good. This FAQ makes this army good. They get spikes in sales and they can manipulate that. I 100% get why they're doing it. 100%. They're a corporation. They got to bleed you dry as hard as they possibly can. Okay? Completely get it. But is there any benefit to the player? Well, there actually is benefit to the player. Like I mentioned, the FAQ and the erratas are very helpful for competitive play. Very, very helpful for competitive play. As well as the Seasons are very helpful for competitive play because they can actively manipulate if an army is better or worse, right? Armor of Contempt for six months. Now we've got no Armor of Contempt, right? That made Space Marines better in the meta. And then it made Space Marines worse in the meta, basically. Um, You can tweak all those sorts of things, and I totally, totally get it. It's definitely better for the competitive scene. And for the casual scene, it's neither here nor there, really, because you can play with Nephilim, you can play with of Omen, or you cannot play with it. Who cares? But I think it also helps keep the players engaged. Remember, nowadays, we've got a million TV shows, a million video games, a million apps, a million notifications on our phone, a million emails in our inbox... We have a lot of things tr- vying for our attention. So the longer they can jingle the keys and go, here's your brand new book. Isn't this nice? Oh, okay. Oh God, I think they're getting bored. Hey, hey, hey! it's different points now. Look, this unit's different. That unit's different. Ah, okay. Oh God, I think they're losing interest. Oh, uh, hey, FAQ. Listen, this rule acts different than you thought. Ah, oh God, I think they're losing interest. Uh, six months. This six months, you ignore one AP. Huh? is that good? All right. Oh, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Uh, I think they are losing interest again. Like, and that is basically how it seems. So for tournament players, this has never been better because it's a constant changing. You don't want one army on top all the time competitive wise. I definitely get it. And I think it's a great thing. For casual people and players in general, the lack of permanence is a constant grind on your wallet. And it's a constant grind on your mind. Now we've got all new stratagems, we've got all new secondaries, we've got all new, oh my, god, just trying to keep up with all of this is insane. So I think that the number of people that are doing more than one army if they're new players is reduced because it's such a constant jingling of the keys just for your one army that you might start a second, but you're not starting a third. It's that sort of thing where it's just, it's constantly changing and stimulating you. Now, whether or not they can keep this up and whether or not people will eventually get burned out, I don't know. I've heard many, many grumblings about people that are getting sick and tired of the constant changes for tournament play, but I hang out in more casual circles. So that makes sense, right? So in conclusion, Games Workshop is making a ton of money And they're constantly manipulating the tournament scene to keep not just one army on top, right? With all these new books coming out, then basically every new book is the army that's on top now, which I get it. Every army should have their moment in the sun and all that. And players are able to constantly engage. There's something new to learn. There's some new way to try it or use it or a new, oh, this unit's much cheaper now, so it's worth taking, blah, blah, blah. I get that the Competitives and Games Workshop are definitely benefiting from this new version of lack of permanence but the casual gamer that doesn't care about any of that it can be very frustrating for them because they just want to play a normal game they don't want to keep up with all the faqs and all of that it's just a real pain in the ass is what it is and i think it leads to a lack of mission creativity because uh, they're still stimulated trying to deal with all the new changes in their army. They're like, you know what, let's just play a normal game, like a normal mission that you roll for or you come up with because I'm not doing anything wonky because my army I barely have a handle on. And both players are probably in that same boat. I think it also leads to a lot less creativity and list building because if you're focused on whatever's the new hot thing, you're probably going to take a meta list. And if you're taking a meta list, there's usually only one or two really best builds for an army. There's not five or six different really best builds, right? So you're probably not going to be experimenting with lists as much as you would if, let's say, your codex is five years old and you're a board. I, um, I think there's a lot less creativity personally because I think players are overstimulated and they don't have the time to get bored enough to be creative. Also, this impermanence creates a feeding frenzy because these players know that, oh my God, if something's good now, I need to use it right now. I need to use whatever is on top right now, because in six months, it's going to be over with. In three months, it might be different points, right? If Games Workshop sees that something's like really good, they're going to increase the points on it. That's just what's going to happen. Or they going to or they're going to nerf it into the ground? So they've created this feeding and spending frenzy of players for the competitive's where they have to do whatever's the best thing right now. It's put it to a pinpoint head. You know, you you just can't be as creative as you were. So I think Games Workshop and the competitive players are very, very happy with the current way things are. I think the casuals are probably much less happy because our investments are not as valuable as they once were, because everything's constantly changing. And then you have to make the Conscious decision to ignore whatever. Oh, we're not playing Nephilim. Oh, we're not playing with Ark of Omen rules. Oh, we're not playing. We're just just not doing it. Uh, we're just using the rulebook or whatever. Um, so you're gonna have to make that decision. If you're a casual player, um, we just played a game yesterday and we played only core rulebook stratagems, no chapter tactics, no artifacts, no warlord traits. We're playing with a 13 year old and he doesn't know all those rules. But the point is is that we had a fantastic game, which I've already discussed in the intro. We had a fantastic game! And didn't use any of that. No secondaries, no nothing. And it was a nail-biter of a game that turned out great. We all had fun. And then I'm thinking, well, if I can have this much fun without calculating, oh, uh, a command point here, and I'll uh, oh, spend a command point there, and oh, I got, I got a, a three victory points at the end of the movement phase, oh, a two victory points at the end of the Battleshock phase, one victory point in my command phase. Did I raise the banner on that? Oh my god. If I can have so much fun without all that bullshit, then what is it giving me? What is it adding to my game? In my humblest of opinions, I think it's not adding anything to my game. It's jingling of the keys and the stimulation. I get the competitives like it. I am not a fan of it at all. And I think that's my conclusion. So... I wish things honestly would be middle ground. I don't want to wait five years for a new edition or or five or 10 years for a new Codex. Really, I'm not that interested in that. But if we could push editions to, let's say, three or four years, so you'd get three or four years out of a Codex, I would be so much happier. And if we would stop with the seasonal bullshit, I hate that, the seasonal bullshit, in my opinion, would have to go. If you want to do FAQs and erotic cool. If you want to tweak some stuff here or there, okay. But the constant churning of new information is just exhausting, frankly. Let me know what you think. What do you think is a good time frame for the lifespan of a codex or the lifespan of an edition for you to get your value out of it, get your money out of it, ignore all the seasonal stuff, forget Nephilim and all that. Just if you buy a book, how many years do you want to be able to use it before you have to buy the same book over again with some tweaks? You let me know, Pemcron at gmail.com, facebook.com slash pimpcron. And if any of you have something serious to say, then I'll put it on the episode. Anyway, thank you to gamemat.eu and panhandle3d.com and all my beautiful, sexy, good smelling Patreon patrons. They are super doable, by the way. They're like really hot. Anyway, I'll see you next episode.